the church's music from the 20th century. The 17th century. The 11th century. The 8th century. The 4th century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, penned by 16th century reformer Martin Luther. Why is it that Christians are still singing hymns, that hymn in particular, and so many others, 500 years later? What is the combination of theology and music that makes for the staying power of good Lutheran music? Joining us to talk about Lutheran theology and music, Dr. Daniel Zager. He's Professor Emeritus at the Eastman School of Music. He holds a Ph.D. in musicology from the University of Minnesota, and he's author of the new book, Lutheran Music and Meaning. Dr. Zager, welcome back. Thank you very much. Today, the Church observes the personal work of Johann Sebastian Bach, who died on July 28th in 1750. What are your thoughts on this Lutheran musician? That's just the point. He is, in part, a Lutheran musician. You know, he's universally recognized in the history of Western music as a great composer, a great musician. But we as Lutherans can lay claim to him in a very special way. He is definitely a Lutheran composer. Four of his five appointments were working within Lutheran churches. The only exception was his appointment at the court in Kirten, where he was not specifically employed to do church music at that particular Calvinist court. So he's a Lutheran musician, and we can see in his cantatas, his organ chorales, his passion settings, the depth that a composer can bring to the proclamation of the gospel through music. And in that sense, Bach is just by himself as an exemplary composer and Lutheran church musician. What would you say the role music played in the Lutheran Reformation in history? What I think happened in the Lutheran Reformation fairly early on, at least by 1523, 1524, is that this genre of the chorale, or the hymn, was created. And what it did was give to the people, the congregants, a role in gospel proclamation. This is really quite unique, and 
Luther did something very special. By 1524, the hymnals that were being published really gave people a kind of substance of gospel proclamation and the opportunity for gospel proclamation. The 1524 hymnal, the so-called Acht Liederbuch, that had eight hymns in it, starts out with the hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, in ten stanzas. And if you look at that hymn in that 1524 hymnal and compare it to Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice in one of today's Lutheran hymnals, all ten stanzas are still there. So from 1524 to 2024, 500 years of Lutheran hymnals, we still have that hymn passed down to us. We still have that same opportunity today to do the kind of gospel proclamation through song, through hymnody, through the chorale that Luther envisioned. It's really quite wonderful. Is the music itself neutral, as many in the Church say? I don't think it is, and I think that's one reason why I wanted to write this book, this small book about Lutheran music and meaning. Because if music is neutral, if anything works, if anything goes, that means that music and text are operating on two completely different planes. And no Lutheran musician would really agree with that nor would Martin Luther or his successors agree with that. They saw text and music operating on the very same plane, on the same level. You know, it's interesting to think about Luther's Christmas hymn, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. If you think about that first stanza, what's the last phrase where the narrator says, Whereof I now will say and say, I will say and sing, in German, singen und sagen. And Luther was the first, really, to couple those two things together, singing and saying. Other successors, like Michael Praetorius, made exactly that same point. But the point is that that's a distinctive for Lutheran church music, and music is not neutral. Music depending on how it's written, how it's shaped, will either be a good fit or not a good fit for sacred text. So music is not neutral. Speaking of the 16th century Martin Luther, what are the two biggest myths regarding Luther and his hymns? The first one likes to think that Martin Luther took pop music. It's often said music from taverns or music from bars and wanted those tunes to work equally well in the church. There's no evidence whatsoever that he did that, that he took popular tunes that were sung in bars and used them in the church. The misapprehension may come from a a German word called barform, which simply means the repetition of one phrase before another phrase. So, for example, if we summarize that as A, A, B, If you think of a hymn or a chorale tune like A Mighty Fortress is Our God, you have bum 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 beam bum 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 beam bum beam bum 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 bum. That's A. That's repeated for another set of text. Then there's a third musical phrase that we would call B. That's bar form. And it's quite possible that over the centuries, people didn't translate that correctly. They read into it all kinds of incorrect things and said, oh, Luther grabbed music from bars. It's not true. 
The second myth is similar, supposing that Luther at one point said, why should the devil have all the good tunes? Meaning, why can't we use some wonderful secular melodies and plop them into our church services? There's no evidence that Luther ever said that. Luther scholars, of which I'm not one, but people whom I trust and know, have searched through Luther's works, and there is no evidence that he ever said that. Those words can be correctly attributed to an English clergyman in the 19th century, but Luther never said, why should the devil have all the good tunes? So those are the two myths, and one of the kind of facts that might back that up, if I could refer to Luther's Christmas hymn one more time, From Heaven Above to Earth I Come, when that was first published, I believe it was in 1535, it was coupled to a folk tune. Basically, in that Christmas hymn, Luther sets up a narrator. From heaven above to earth I come, and I'm going to tell you the story. And that is not dissimilar from a folk tune called Ich komme ich komm aus fremden Landen her. I come from a foreign land, and we're going to play a little game, and I'm going to narrate this as we go. So when Luther's hymn first came out, it was coupled to that tune, and that may well have worked in Luther's own household. It might have been something they did in the Christmas season in Luther's household. When Luther's text was published again in 1539, it came out to Luther's own tune, the one we know as From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. Now, I can't say definitively, nor can anyone say definitively, that Luther didn't like the folk tune. What's possible, though, is that as he was writing the text, he had a kind of a tune in mind, and eventually he put that out. It was published in 1539, and that's the tune we have used ever since. So it's just not at all clear that Luther welcomed secular tunes into the church to be sung with sacred texts. And in fact, at one point, he actually worked against that. He said that the youth need good music to wean them away from secular ballads and love songs. This is not a person who was really looking to bring secular music into the divine service. Why did Luther himself insist that the people should sing? He thought that that was a really good way for the gospel to be among the people. He wrote at one point that the word of God may be among the people in the form of music. That's what he wanted to see. And he wrote that in 1523 as he was trying to get people around him, his co-workers, to write new texts, new chorale texts, hymn texts for people to sing. Because if it could be among the people in the form of music, it makes for something that's memorable. We know, even in our own day, that if we can sing a particular set of words to music, it's much easier to remember it that way. I've heard from pastor friends who have ministered to people on their deathbeds that when they sing a well-known hymn or chorale, there is a recognition. The music is working with the text to bring something to mind. And I think Luther knew that very well, that music makes something memorable. And if you can couple music to text in an apt and fitting way, it gives people a means of remembering that text, and it gives people in the divine service 
a way to proclaim the gospel. As a group, as a congregation, we come together and we sing the gospel. Tell us about two individuals, one we've discussed briefly already, Michael Praetorius and Johann Sebastian Bach, and their place in Lutheran music. Praetorius is an interesting character. His father, by the way, worked with Johann Walter, who was Luther's right-hand man in terms of music. Walter was the kind of gifted contrapuntal composer that Luther could only dream of being. And so when Luther was putting hymnals together, encouraging new texts and tunes and so on, simultaneously Walter, the gifted composer, was writing a contrapuntal or part music based on those chorales and hymns. Well, in any event, Praetorius's father worked with Johann Walter. So there's this direct link from Michael Praetorius through his father to Johann Walter to Luther. And Praetorius is a fascinating character in the history of Lutheran music. We often devote lots of attention to Bach, as we should, and I think in some ways we don't talk enough about Praetorius. He was an amazingly prolific composer. If you were to look at his output in terms of published volumes in a library, for example, you'll see 20-plus volumes of German and Latin-based music, sacred music for the Lutheran service. Also, he was a prolific writer. He was basically writing an encyclopedia of music that he envisioned being in four published parts. He finished three of them, actually, and it's the first part of the so-called syntagma musicum, Think about that just as an encyclopedia of music. It's that first part where he was writing in Latin for pastors, for theologians. And in that particular context, he took two similar-sounding Latin words, concio and cancio. Concio being something that is spoken, like a sermon. Cancio being something that is sung, a chorale or a hymn. And he made the point in part one of Syntagma Musicum, his music encyclopedia, he made the point that you can't have one without the other, that the Lutheran service should never have one without the other, that these should be on a similar plane. And so he's basically following Luther. Luther equated word and music, word and tone, word and music, saying and singing, singing and saying. Praetorius did the same thing, concio and cancio, speech and song, preaching and singing. So he's an amazing person, and he laid this foundation for us that still stands. So when I was writing this book, I went back to Praetorius for a particular reason. I wanted people to know that this Lutheran way of looking at music as having meaning and being linked in meaningful, apt, and fitting ways to Lutheran texts is not some wishful thinking from the 21st century, but it goes back to the earliest times of Lutheranism, namely to Martin Luther and to Michael Praetorius, to both of them saw music and text being on the same plane. So it has laid a foundation, a sort of philosophical and practical foundation for everything we do today in the 21st century as Lutheran musicians. How would you assess uh, 
box con- contribution, which is difficult to do sometimes because it's overshadowed by his global influence in music. Yeah, it is. The other thing that is difficult, you're quite right about how it's difficult to assess, and one of the reasons is, I think, his music, especially the cantatas, his cantatas are, are probably the distinguishing mark of Bach as a Lutheran musician, so that on a given Sunday morning, he would look at the epistle lesson and the gospel lesson, and he would write music that would explicate, break open, exegete those texts. And the cantata was placed very consciously after the gospel lesson and before the sermon. So in some sense, you had two explications of the gospel lesson for a given Sunday. Now, the problem for us today is that we can't hear Bach's cantatas very often. If they are sung in church at all, it's usually in the context of, say, a Vesper service, almost No, it's not concert-like, but it's not in the divine service. We don't have the musicians, the singers, the instrumentalists, and so on, that are needed, to say nothing of the time, to do Bach's cantatas regularly in the divine service today. So he is more difficult to assess in that way, in that we don't hear his music all the time. It's richly contrapuntal, as you know. It also comes from a certain time in the history of music, so that when Bach is borrowing the practice of, say, recitative and aria, he's borrowing it from opera, and he's bringing it into his cantatas, and he's making it work. It does tell the story. It does proclaim the gospel. But these are musical procedures that, to our ears, are not so familiar as they would have been to Bach's listeners. One last thing about Bach and the cantatas before I stop. His listeners had another advantage. They could purchase in Leipzig, I'm talking about Bach in his last appointment now in Leipzig, where he was writing cantatas for about two or three years on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis. His listeners could purchase booklets, little inexpensive booklets, that would have, say, four or five or six cantatas for the next four or five or six Sundays. And they could take those with them to church. And so there was this whole culture of listening to this music as something that is not foreign to their ears, and they had the printed text in front of them that helped them take this in in a theological manner. We're talking about Lutheran theology and music. Dr. Daniel Zager is our guest. On the other side, what's the relationship between music and the text set to it? The Church's Music from the Second Century. The 6th century. The 12th century. The 16th century.
the 21st century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Sacramental. Historical. Liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Lutheran theology and music with Daniel Zager. He's Professor Emeritus at the Eastman School of Music. He holds a Ph.D. in musicology from the University of Minnesota, and he's author of the new book, Lutheran Music and Meaning. Speaking of Lutheran music, the hymn sing, led by Pastor Will Whedon, is one of the favorite features at the annual Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. You can watch and listen to the hymn sing and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a donation of $300 by Labor Day. This year's speakers include Pastor Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione, journalist Mark Amali Hemingway, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee. Order today at issuesetc.org or by calling 618-223-8385. Dr. Zager, what then is the relationship between music and the text set to it? I've used words like apt and fitting because not just any music will do. And let me turn to hymnody. I tried to start with that in my book because those are the musical expressions that are central to our parishioners, our congregants today. Um, So when people think about music in the church today, I I believe they should think first and foremost about hymns because that's where they all participate and sing. And I used an example, a hymn that was published in a supplement called With One Voice. It's a hymn by a wonderful English poet named Timothy Dudley Smith. The hymn is entitled, O Christ the Same. It's three stanzas, kind of past, present, and future, as a way of structuring the hymn. And when it was published in the supplement With One Voice, it was coupled to a tune called Londonderry Air which is more familiarly known as O Danny Boy. Now, Timothy Dudley Smith himself has written a really excellent book about hymns, and 
right up front, he says, I'm not very musical. I'm not sure I buy that. But he did have a musical advisor who would kind of suggest tunes. So in any event, the tune, London Derry Air, which we know as O Danny Boy, was suggested for the text, O Christ the Same. I think it doesn't work. And the reason is it's not apt because it bears other meaning. We can hear that tune in all kinds of television or movie contexts where they want to portray something Irish. Or we hear about an Irish tenor because there's that kind of high note at the end that this tune, by the way, ranges over an octave and a fifth, which is not good for congregational singing. So it's not an apt or fitting choice because that tune still bears meaning that comes from the secular world. I can point to movies, for example, where that is what signifies a person of Irish descent, for example. So in 2006, another hymnal was published called Evangelical Lutheran Worship, and this text was incorporated into that hymnal, but it was coupled to a new tune by Carl Schalk called Red Hill Road, and it works magnificently because it doesn't bear extra meaning, meaning that comes from outside of the church. So it gives new life to Timothy Dudley Smith's text, and all of a sudden it becomes, from my point of view, a singable hymn because it's not making me think about Oh, Danny Boy. So if we think about things in those terms, music is not neutral, but it has to be apt. It has to be fitting. It has to be sacred, not secular, if it's connected with a sacred text. And if I could just give one more example. In my book, there's an Easter text, not a very distinguished one, because I wrote it myself, and it's only one stanza, and I'm going to find it here and read it. Jesus is raised from the dead. Now he lives as he said. Crucified upon a cross, when it seemed that all was lost, Christ is risen today, Christ is risen today. Not a great text. But I wrote it to the tune, Silent Night. Again, hardly an apt or fitting tune for an Easter morning text. But I'm talking about this, I'm writing about this to stress that music is not neutral. There does need to be a one-to-one correspondence between a text of a hymn and the music of a hymn that preserves that text as sacred and makes it worthy of being sung in church. That word worthy is something that people will quibble about in our day. But Luther used it. He said that the music and the text must be worthy to be used in the service of God. So that's drilling down a little bit more on the relationship between music and text. And I would just say again, the music is not neutral. It needs to be apt. It needs to be fitting. It needs to honor the sacred character of the text by a sacred character of music. If I could offer an example, a recent one, Stephen Starkey's hymn, he took a section of Gustav Holt's Jupiter from his Planet Suite, 
an odd place to choose a hymn tune, but it, to my ear, it has that aptness to his, I think it's his version of the Te Deum. That's right, yep. It works well, doesn't it? I mean, I think many of us just love singing that. And one of the things I, I've talked about near the end of chapter one in my book is precisely that sort of thing. Hymns borrow music all the time. And that's one of the examples I used. Another example would be, from the Renaissance period, taking a secular art song by Heinrich Isaac, Innsbruck, ich muss dich lassen, Innsbruck, I must now leave you. And in the history of Lutheran hymnody, that has been coupled with any number of, of hymn texts. For example, the Good Friday text, Upon the Cross Extended. So somebody, a critic, could say to me, look, if you're going to accept art song music by Heinrich Isaac or by Gustav Holst, why can you not accept secular music, whether bar tunes or secular songs or, oh, Danny Boy, what's the difference? The difference is, with Holst and with Isaac, we're borrowing from an art music tradition. And that's different than borrowing from a folk tradition like Oh Danny Boy. Why? Because those tunes are not so well known. Where Oh Danny Boy bears a truckload of meaning, that's not necessarily the case, especially for most listeners, when borrowing from Holst's The Planets. Or, I used one other example, I think this is also a Stephen Starkey text in um, Lutheran Service Book, he uses the Irish folk tune Moville, and I cite this in chapter one of my book and give a YouTube link. If you can use Moville, why can't you use Londonderry Air? The answer to that is that there needs to be a distance of time that makes those secular characteristics of, say, Londonderry Air evaporate. Maybe someday that will be the case, but it certainly isn't now. A negative example, i just like your thoughts on it, the tune to Amazing Grace, say what you will of the hymn itself, has been drawn into pop culture. And most of us can only hear it in pop culture played on the bagpipes at a policeman's funeral or something like that. Again, that, as- right. that association with the cultural trope that may take what was once an apt tune and knock it out of place. What do you think about that? I agree with that. And Amazing Grace for me, is not the greatest hymn in our hymnal. And I think it's precisely because of what you said. It it bears so many connections to our popular culture where that is maybe one of only four or five or six hymns that some people would even identify as hymn. If you would say to the average person in the culture, can you name a hymn, it may well be Amazing Grace. And so that tune, having been used in television shows and movies and so on, to signify, as you suggest, the funeral of a, of a policeman, for example, being played on the bagpipes in the distance, it then drags all of that meaning into the divine service, and I think it can be somewhat disruptive. Dr. Daniel Zager is our guest. We're talking about Lutheran theology and music. He's author of the new book, Lutheran Music and Meaning. How does then the divine service, the church here, the lectionary, form the context for meaning in the church's music? 
If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speakers' presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Find out how your life story is interwoven with the life of Christ in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for July, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about Life in Christ at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org you wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Calvary Lutheran, Baltimore, Maryland. Faith Lutheran, Azona, Texas. Holy Trinity Lutheran, Columbia, South Carolina. Emmanuel Lutheran, Terre Haute, Indiana, Mount Olive Lutheran, Madison, Wisconsin, Pilgrim Lutheran, Kilgore, Texas, Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran, Snohomish, Washington, St. Paul Lutheran, Austin, Texas, St. Peter Lutheran, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Village Lutheran, St. Louis, Missouri. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Lutheran theology and music with Dr. Daniel Zager. This is Issues Etc. Dr. Zager, how does the divine service you mentioned before, the lectionary, the whole church here, then form the context for meaning in the church's music? Yeah. If it was just pitches and rhythms, if I deal with music only in terms of pitches and rhythms, does it have meaning? And in the book, I wrote a hymn-like melody, and said, by itself, this bears no meaning. 
it could accommodate a text like No Thank We All Are God, but we have a perfectly good tune for No Thank We All Are God. But I wrote that tune to say that pitches and rhythms by themselves, they don't bear meaning in this particular case for the Lutheran worship service. So we have texts, and then we have these broader contexts, the liturgy, the church year, and the lectionary. When you add all of these things together, you have a kind of nexus of theology, liturgy, and music, where the music can play a meaningful role. And just to go back to that tune without a text, it can play no meaningful role because it has no context. But music in Lutheran worship, music in the divine service, has this rich, rich context. First of all, there's the divine service itself. We have Luther's, this is the year, 2023, where we think back 500 years ago to when Luther published his Formula Missae, his uh, version of the Latin Mass. Three years later, in 1526, he would provide a German order of service, the Deutsche Messe. So 500 years ago, right around now, he's wrestling with liturgy and he's wrestling with hymns. And so he establishes the divine service that we know today. If Luther were to attend one of our services today and he would hear us do divine service one, two, or three, he would see the full outline almost of his formula missae. So there's a lot of continuity from Luther all the way back to the Latin Mass, his Latin Mass of 1523, all the way forward to our own divine service. So our divine service provides the proper and the ordinary of the Mass, all these occasions for music. Then when it comes to hymnody, which is such an important part of the divine service, we have the church year and we have the lectionaries all of which provide further context. So as we move through the church year from Advent all the way through Ascension and Pentecost, year by year we have the opportunity to retell the, the story of salvation from the Incarnation through the Resurrection to the Ascension to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then further... In the lectionaries, whether a three-year lectionary or a one-year lectionary, we have much more specific content, providing context for the divine service and its use of hymnody. So meaning in Lutheran music is determined not only through pitches and rhythms. They have to be apt. They have to be fitting, yes. But that meaning is coming to us fully through the liturgy, the divine service, and through the lectionary and the church year. All of those things norm the use of music in the divine service. So we're really talking there about not just emotional or psychological associations, but we're talking about the text making full use of the music toward the end of proclamation. Right, and it's precisely what you just said about those emotional and psychological associations that I think is part of the genius of Lutheran church music. Namely, that's not what we're after. We're not after particular 
moving uh, emotional states in particular way. We're not interested in manipulating the emotions. We're not interested as music as background for meditation. What we're interested in is music playing a meaningful role in actually proclaiming the gospel. So, right, it's not about emotions and psychological states. It's about content. You had mentioned uh, Luther, if he were to attend a divine service today, would find himself quite at home. He would recognize exactly where he was and what was happening there. What would happen were he to attend a kind of typical big box contemporary worship service? I think he would be befuddled in, in a certain way. What is going on here? I think he would be dismayed. I think he would be disappointed. He might be angry. Because those kinds of services tend not to have a kind of thread that runs through them, a thread that is given by church here and by lectionary, a thread that takes its cue from a gospel lesson For example, wheat and tares last week, wheat and weeds. One can take that text and find music in the form of hymns that's based on it and weave a kind of wholeness, a kind of content wholeness throughout an entire service, but it comes from the Word of God. I think what Luther would miss in the kind of big box praise and worship service is he would miss that kind of content and that kind of continuity. He might also miss a sense of lament. In those kinds of services, we have what are called praise teams. I've often wondered why there aren't lament teams, because there's not that kind of acknowledgement of sin and forgiveness, absolution. The sacrament may be present, I don't know, in in those services, it certainly could be. But there again, I think Luther would perceive disconnects. I think he would also perceive a disconnect in terms of a kind of devotion or seriousness. The ability to take theology seriously and not look for it to be a kind of supercharged, here's how I'm going to get through the next seven days. So I, I think... You ask a good question, and I think the answer is Luther would find it to be a foreign experience. What is our role as both singers and listeners in the divine service? I think as singers, it's to be cognizant of the fact that we are, in fact, proclaiming the gospel, that this is our role. When I go to church on Sunday morning, that is one of my roles is to proclaim the gospel to everybody around me, to those people sitting around me, to the rest of the people in church, to proclaim the gospel. As a listener, it's up to me to pay attention to everything that goes on in the divine service, to think about it, to put it all together, not to look at it as some sort of entertainment, I want it to be something that is outside the mainstream. So as I enter the building or as I leave the building, 
I may talk to my friends about any of a variety of things, whether sports teams or television shows or movies or current events or whatever. But when I'm in the divine service, I want my listening to be focused on sin and forgiveness, on the gospel, on receiving the Lord's body and blood. These are serious matters. These are matters that don't accommodate talk about my favorite sports team or what I've done recently. I want it to be a sacred time. Dr. Daniel Zegger is our guest. Up next, what's the Lutheran theology of worship and how does it serve as the basis for a Lutheran theology of music? This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with Pride Goeth Before Destruction. Set apart by the Spirit, Elymas and Paul, God has brought to Israel a Savior, and we bring you the good news. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. 
To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. We're talking about Lutheran theology and music. Dr. Daniel Zager is our guest. He's Professor Emeritus at the Eastman School of Music and author of the new book, Lutheran Music and Meaning. So, Dr. Zager, what is the Lutheran theology of worship? I would say that a Lutheran theology of music puts first things first, meaning that proclamation is absolutely primary. There's a, an offertory in the divine service that's taken from Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. What that does is lays out a priority that says what happens in the divine service is God is giving his gifts, rich, lavish gifts, to me, to the congregation, to us. He's giving us forgiveness of sins. He's giving us his word through his called and ordained servant who preaches that word. He's giving us his very body and blood in his holy supper. He's giving us his gifts. What shall I render to the Lord for his benefits? Those are the benefits that we receive in the divine service. And that's the Lutheran theology of music. We focus on the proclamation of God's Word. I should say that's the Lutheran theology of worship, is that we focus on God's gifts. That's primary. Praise is secondary. And that's sometimes what I miss. I might hear somebody say, in a very well-intentioned way, when we come together for church, we come to give praise and worship to our God. That's not untrue. But it fails, I think, to put first things first. I think it fails to say, when we come together in the divine service, we come to receive the richest gifts that God can offer. And then, in a second place, we can offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's genius that that's built right into our divine service. In the offertory, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. One comes before the other. So that, I think, is the Lutheran theology of music. I don't know that that can be replicated in other Christian denominations. I think it's a Lutheran distinctive. Someone might say, well, as a caution, aren't we dangerously close to doing what often evangelicals do without realizing, and that is classifying music in some sort of area of the sacraments, that it becomes a a substitute for the sacrament. What's your response there? No, music is not on that plane. It is not equivalent to baptism or Holy Communion. It is not equivalent to absolution. Music is a means of proclaiming the gospel, but it is not somehow uh, on the same plane as the sacraments. It's not the Word of God. It conveys the Word of God, but it's not the same. 
How does this Lutheran theology of worship that you articulated, how does it serve as the basis for a Lutheran theology of music? Where the Lutheran theology of worship gives us a primary focus on God's gifts, similarly, the Lutheran theology of music gives us a primary focus on God's Word, on the musical proclamation of God's Word. So in both cases, a theology of worship, a theology of music, we're putting first things first. In worship, we're saying God is giving gifts. That's primary. In the theology of music, we're saying proclaiming the Word of God is primary. In other words, it trumps beauty. It trumps any other kind of aesthetic consideration of music. When we go to concerts, we go, if there's a particular kind of musical expression we want to hear, and we can exercise musical preferences, we can exercise musical aesthetics, and so on. But in the Lutheran theology of music, it's not about beauty, it is about music playing its role in the proclamation of the word. Now, beauty may well be there. Certainly, in a a Bach organ setting that I may play on a given Sunday, there's beauty in Bach's music. But first and foremost, I'm playing it because I want people to hear that chorale tune, and I want them to link it to the chorale text. So music is functioning in a particular way that is not true in, say, a concert setting. And so that is a way that the Lutheran theology of music distinguishes music in Lutheran worship from Lutheran music in a concert, because we might hear a cantata in a concert. And in fact, that reminds me of something. In, in one of the chapters of the book, I talk about that and say that there is such a thing as inherent meaning, meaning that the composer builds that meaning into, in this case, a Bach cantata, the inherent meaning. So if that cantata is sung in a Vesper service or at a concert, the meaning is still there. But there's also contextual meaning. If Bach wrote a particular cantata for a funeral, and if that was sung at a funeral today, it would bear additional meaning that I'll call contextual meaning, inherent meaning and contextual meaning. So what do you make of the situation where Bach is played in concert, the text is there, the musicians are fully aware of what they're playing and singing, and yet it is being presented merely as an aesthetic piece. What's happening there? Yeah, I mean, let's think about, for example, Bach's either St. John Passion or his St. Matthew Passion. I have never heard them on Good Friday, in a Good Friday service. I wish I could, because it would bear so much more meaning. If I were in Leipzig on Good Friday, it would be my privilege to hear one of those um, pieces in, the, in a service, and there would be other kinds of music as well. It wouldn't, the passion setting of Bach, long as it might be, wouldn't stand alone. There would be other musical components today in that service in Leipzig. So the only time I've ever heard the St. Matthew Passion or the St. John Passion is in a concert as you described it. One of them was in a church, one of them was in a concert hall. All I can say for myself is that there was a kind of inner, in myself, meaning for that, but it wasn't the same 
as hearing it on Good Friday in a church coupled with other elements in the way that Bach intended. So I guess maybe the same thing could happen in the privacy of our homes. We could put on a CD and we could hear the St. John or the St. Matthew, and we could, if we were listening quietly and taking it in as a whole, we could have a particular kind of experience. But again, that cannot be a substitute for hearing it in church on Good Friday, the day when it was intended. What then is the unique Lutheran insight into music for the church? Well, I think that it is, to repeat myself, that music plays its role in the proclamation of the gospel, whether that is on Good Friday or whether it is any other day in the church year, no matter what the occasion, whenever music is used, what should happen in the Lutheran divine service is that music plays its role in proclaiming the gospel. I referred to the pericopes from last Sunday. It may have been common in some churches to sing, Come, you thankful people, come, as a hymn, because there's that, I think it's the second or third stanza that talks about gathering the tares and the wheat. So it commented on the gospel lesson. Then I'd have a musical experience on that particular Sunday where I was able to hear the gospel and then to proclaim it in a hymn and then to hear it preached in the sermon. And so that's the kind of thing that I hope for within the Lutheran Divine Service, that music can take on that kind of music in that kind of continuity that I described earlier, where music can be part of gospel proclamation from beginning to end of the Lutheran Divine Service. Dr. Daniel Zager is Librarian Emeritus at the Eastman School of Music. He holds a Ph.D. in Musicology from the University of Minnesota, and he's author of the new book, Lutheran Music and Meaning. You can purchase this book on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and request Lutheran Music and Meaning by Dr. Daniel Zager. Dr. Zager, thank you very much. Thank you. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Chaplains deliver Word and Sacrament ministry to our military personnel and their families. Find out about their service at lcms.org slash armed forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the 68th regular convention of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod with attorneys Mark Stern and Tom Halverson. We'll get an update from Dr. Pavi Rossin on her freedom of speech and religion trial in Finland, and we'll discuss the wisdom of God with Dr. Russell Dawn. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. 
You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. cph.org. The Grace of God, the Church's Music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical Snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville.